and and so there was no internet research at the time. So everything I did was, you know, go somewhere and try to learn it, right? But but I think that when when it, as I grew that company, it grew very quickly. I was very lucky with it. I had a design that really took off and was wildly successful. I got lots of PR and, um, you know, stores were just buying it. It was just, it just kind of had this legs of its own and just kind of grew. And I can't take credit for that because I really didn't know what I was doing. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Sarah Shaw here today, and I'm super excited to talk to her. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Sarah Shaw Consulting, where she teaches product designers and fashion entrepreneurs how to launch, market, and sell their products into boutiques, get media placements, and also gift with celebrities. And uh, I want to say with that, welcome to Money Talkers, Sarah. Hey, thanks for having me, Cody. Well, listen, we've kind of been talking a little bit offline here, and uh, you have a very diverse background in entrepreneurship, and I've kind of been talking to you for a while because I think you and I click with all the different kind of uh, entre the entrepreneurial uh, damage that we've tried to do through the, through the years, but um, tell me a little bit about what uh, got you into being, um, uh, when you realized you were wanting to be an entrepreneur, when you wanted to be a business owner. <laughs> I never thought that I wanted to be one. <laughs> um, I'm actually a fourth generation entrepreneur and all my siblings are entrepreneurs, which is kind of funny, but I graduated college and I went to go work in Hollywood doing costumes for movies. And I just thought I'd live and die there. I just never occurred to me to even be an entrepreneur because I loved my job in Hollywood. It was fun, challenging. Um, and you actually learn a lot about entrepreneurship. I, I didn't realize at the time, but ev almost every sort of entrepreneur trick that I've know now, I realize most of it was learned back then because the biggest thing takeaway for me was never take no for an answer. Because if you say no to a Hollywood producer, you could get. <laughs> um, and so there was always, I got trained at an early age, right? At 22, when I started to look for the workaround, right? How do you pivot? How do you solve the problem? Where do you go? Who do you call? Someone's gotta be able to solve that problem. And to me, it I just sort that, of came naturally, yeah. right? And I didn't, I was really good at my job. So um, I excelled very quickly. I advanced in, in the costume world. I went from dressing, you know, like dressing tons of extras on my very first movie, like thousands of firefighters on a film to, you know, managing budgets of over a million dollars as a costume supervisor. And it was exciting. And 
my very first business, I sort of stumbled into clothing manufacturing because I needed to make something for a film. And we went to see this company that made these shirts we needed, but we needed them in a small size. And the guy was like, sure, yeah, I can make them for you. And they were $20 versus going to like the normal Beverly Hills shirt guy that everybody used in the film business where the shirts were 140 or 150 custom made. So we were like, wow, $20, we'll take 10. <laughs> and so then I, um, this guy made some stuff for us. And then a friend who was a costume designer called and said, hey, I'm doing this big opera and I need all these little Chinese coolie outfits. Do you know where I could get them? I was like, hey, I know this guy who can make them for you. So he made all these clothes for her. And then he called me up and said, hey, that thanks for the gig. That was awesome. And he sent me a check for $1,200 commission, <laughs> which was great because I had just bought a house, my first house at 29, and I needed to refinish my floors and that was what it cost. So I was like, wow, it's free. <laughs> and, and so then she turned, she said, hey, someone else I know needs to make these same sort of Chinese, you know, working outfits, like a shirt and drawstring pants for a movie. And I was like, oh, we'll have her call this guy. So the movie turned out to be Forrest Gump. But of course, oh, really? we didn't know, we didn't know <laughs> you know, when they're all working, picking rice in the yeah. fields, those were the costumes. So <laughs> my friend said, hey, this could be a real business. Do you want to start this business? And I said, uh, okay. <laughs> so he said, you go get the gigs and I'll make the clothes and we'll split the money 50-50. So we grew this, we did it for about 10 years or so and did lots of big movies like Matrix 2 and 3 and um, The Postman and Star, Starship Troopers, the original one, that was our first big movie. And um, so it was really fun and we made loads of money and um, I kind of got the experience of be feeling like an entrepreneur, but we got 50% upfront and 50% when we delivered. So there was no money outlay or cash flow issues. And then, you know, then I started other businesses that actually had cash flow, <laughs> things that I had to uh, figure out. And so it, those were a major learning curve for me because I did not, nobody ever taught me about that. And it's, I never went to business school. So I was a costume design major in college. <laughs> I went to business school, it was overrated. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> no, business is business school. Business school is not business school. <laughs> right, yeah, it's a business so reality. Worst English way to explain that, but I, I'll get there. But <laughs> right. um, Well, no, I think that's really awesome because like, you know, in an entrepreneur's world, like that's the idea is that like, I'm going to be a business owner generally isn't always the best way to go. It's like, where's the problem? Let me go solve the problem and get paid for it, right? The bigger the problem we can solve, then and the better we are at solving it, the more we get paid. It's why I rarely have fit in the box in my life where it's like, work X amount of hours, get X amount of money. And I'm like, but what if I do a really good job? They're like, you get the same amount of money. Like, what if I do a poor job? <laughs> well, you might get fired, but you get the same amount of money. And I'm like, right. this doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so it's, a couple of times I've been in that position, like it's, it's really stressful for me because I want to go solve big problems and do those kinds of things. And it sounds like you just kind of saw this and said, Hey, wait a minute, these guys are charging this. I could do this and just put it together. And I feel like you probably got better lessons doing that than you would have, like you mentioned, like business school, you know, where there's theoretical pieces, but once you feel okay. that pressure, you know, of that, like I got to deliver it's last minute, those kinds of things. Um, it's very difficult to, understand the context unless you can kind of feel it would you agree exactly. with that uh, totally yeah. and also 
I think that that particular business was sort of play money to me because there was no, I didn't have to, all I had to do was set the price, right? And the money came in, the money, we, we made the clothes, the rest of the money came in, we divided the profits. It, it was, it seemed like free money to me, right? Because yeah. I, I didn't have to work that hard for it in a sense, right? I had to maybe that's go the, do some fittings or, right, <laughs> exactly, right? The kind you get while you're sleeping. And, um, but then, you know, as you, you know, my next business was we built wardrobe trailers um, like 48 foot semis and outfitted them and rented them to films where we, you know, paid 150,000 to build this thing and had to get a bank loan and, you know, pay, pay, get, get, we'd get the income, but we had, while we were building it, we had to outlay some cash, right. To cover the, the building costs and the how time did, that it took. How right? did the conversation go with the bank? <laughs> I'm curious, like, like, cause that's an odd request. Like I used to be a banker. So I'm just curious, like if you want to like, Hey, uh, I'm thinking about building a giant trailer, trailer. for 150 yeah. grand. They're like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, or... so <laughs> we built the first one for cash. There oh, were nice. three of us together, a partner, my parents and myself. And so we built it for cash. And, uh, so we got to actually put that one up for collateral to the bank gotcha. and we had to sort of prove to them what they were worth, right? Like showing them, you know, what other people were paying to build. So we showed like current receipts. This was maybe a couple of years after we built the first one. So then the, this bank, it was a special bank in Sacramento that someone turned us onto that actually helps people build trailers. And cause not every bank, like our own banks in Los Angeles wouldn't do it. So um you know and there's a big the there's a big lesson in there that what you're talking about right now is as a banker like i think a lot of people think like if you went to a bank and they said no you also the same lesson you mentioned earlier to me which was you can't take no for an answer there's always a solution right. there's almost the same thing in, in the in the lending world that if you have a business and you want to get somewhere with it and and, and a banker looks at you like they're you're crazy you know you want to build what no, we don't yeah. do that. You know, and it's like, but you kept going and find the solution. Exactly. There usually is, a, a, there, there, are, there are a lot of different lenders out there that people don't understand that all banks don't, aren't not equal. Right. Totally. Yeah. It's like some banks don't do, you know, in the old days, didn't do wire transfers overseas or something. And you'd have to go put your money in another bank that would do the wire transfer for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it, there's, there's always a solution if you're willing to dig deep enough. That's a great lesson right there. That little piece of cold. Yeah. There's always a solution. That's yeah. one of the things that um, I would love to instill in some of our younger people, because a lot of times I feel like we just, they just throw their hands up because mm -hmm. they see that as a, I feel like that's the default in society. It's like, oh, I can't cause you know, whatever. It's like, right. no, you could, you're just not willing to do. And then that's a hard conversation. Exactly. You know? <laughs> well, it's interesting too, like, because I have uh, twins that are almost 14 and they grew up in the digital world right? I, I didn't grow up in a digital world, you know, they're like, we're the dinosaurs roaming the earth. I'm like, practically. Yeah, and, I've got a nine year old that drives the same exact jokes on me and my wife. Yeah. She calls the 90s the oldies. Right. And it exactly. just kills me. She's like, yeah. I like those oldies movies, you know, from yeah. the 90s. And I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and so, you know, sometimes, you know, it's like even listening to my 86 year old mother will say, Oh, just Google it, you know, and, <laughs> and she's, and she and I both kind of crack up. I mean, she really cracks up because she thinks it's, I mean, she's pretty technical, like has an iPhone and everything. So, 
you know, I mean, doesn't always know how to use it, but for the most part, <laughs> but, but it's, it's interesting to me, you know, like when we were kids, we went to the encyclopedia to, or the library, right, to learn something, whereas kids today can just Google something and, you know, and sometimes they'll get to a roadblock. This is where I'm going with this is I've just been teaching my kids how to go down the rabbit hole, right, on Google, because sometimes you have to go to a blog or something and then see some other other article they wrote and then click on that and then keep going down the rabbit hole to get to the don't take no for an answer <laughs> because you don't you may not have the people to talk to right when you're a kid maybe you're too shy or there just isn't the resource available to you personally and you want to do it yourself without asking your parents for help or something so i think learning how to go down those rabbit holes on the internet can be really useful and amazing. It's an amazing tool. There's been a massive shift in my mind. Um, I got in this conversation with another set of guys. We were sitting around talking and uh, there's been such a, one of the guys was complaining that his son is lazy, right? He was like, when I was a kid, I had to get up and learn how to do all this stuff. And I go, you're missing the point, man. I said, they don't have to learn how to do anything. I go, everything in the entire planet of knowledge is available in, in your pocket right now. I was like, what they need to be taught is how to find the information. Right, right? how to resource it. Yeah, how, it's, it's a much bigger tool now. You know, and, I, and personally, you know, it's a totally different subject, but like I find college is, to me, is very threatened right now because of that. You used to have to go and learn how to do something. And, or if you wanted to know the tricks of painting, you know, you had to go find a painter who's been painting for 20 years. Now I just go on YouTube. I look for the least produced videos and I find the best information on the least produced videos. It's usually like some exactly. old guy that's like, yeah, I'm in my truck right now. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, that's my guy. I'm going to watch him how he does it. I don't want to see Bob in the studio with his paintbrush. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. So I want, I want, you know, I want Ricky out in his truck. Right. But like, you know, for me, when I think about this with my kids, I don't know how I'm going to approach it about going to school unless it's for a purpose like unless like my daughter i think we mentioned offline my daughter wants to be yeah. a veterinarian if she wants to be a veterinarian you have to go to school to be a veterinarian right. if she tells me she wants to be a business owner i'm probably not going to push her into college because i think those four years the amount of knowledge that you learn there it, it, it's not even comparable to what's in our hands these days Right. You and know? you could just take a random class online if you wanted if yeah. you needed to for, learn something. For 500 bucks, you can be exactly. a master chef, right? Like yeah. it's unbelievable, <laughs> you know? And so I, I find that like when I, now when I'm, I'm, when I'm, and I'm trying to lead my kids, I'm finding that I have to kind of break down the walls of that. They can go get the information mm -hmm. as opposed to me attacking that as opposed to like me teaching them something. Right. A lot of times they ask me questions. I'm like, I don't know. Let's go find out together. Yes. Right. And I'm like, oh, no way. Like, and, you know, so we, we go find out different information. And so um, as your kids are coming into that age, um, you know, 13, 14 year old, you've been a serial entrepreneur in your life. Um, do you do you talk to them about businesses? Do you talk to them about, you know, on the entrepreneurial side of things? Or do you kind of let um, that just kind of flow a little bit on? Do they know what you do? Oh yeah, they know yeah. what I do and they're very <laughs> involved in it. They want to see all my clients' websites and make their own commentary on it. That's awesome. I love that. That's why I do blah blah blah, you know. <laughs> and or oh that oh that's not very I would never wear that. Or, you know, sometimes <laughs> if I'm thinking about taking a client, you know, they'll come in and they'll see me sitting here, you know, looking at something like, 
you know, well, they picked me apart. It. I've spent my whole life trying to get into board shorts and t-shirts and that's all I want to wear. <laughs> so like I've achieved my goal so they can pick yeah. me apart that they want. <laughs> um, and they don't seem that interested in entrepreneurship. They are very interested in making money. Yeah. So well, more, more is caught than taught, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. you may not think they're interested, but if they're in there doing those, picking those things apart and doing that stuff, that's they're side by side with you. And that's the most, you know, for me, yeah. I, there's nothing better than that for me. Like to yeah. like sit down and go over that kind of stuff with my kids. It just lights me up. Like, yes, it's so fun. Yeah. And so, you know, and I do my own accounting. So in QuickBooks. Oh, and so I they, too. I hate um, it. <laughs> but like, they'll see me paying bills or sitting there entering like my credit cards in, in my QuickBooks, you know, and yesterday I was doing that. And one of my kids said, you know, what, tell me what you're doing. Can you explain? Cause she's never asked before and I never pushed it on her. So I explained you know, and she was like, well, how do you pay the bill? And I'm like, well, I go here on the bank and I, you know, have the accounts in here. And then I go and choose which account needs, you know, and I was showing her how to do it. And she was like, oh, so you have to pay that money. <laughs> I was like, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it, I think it sort of hit her for the first time that even though like she sees me run my credit card all the time for everything, right? I don't think it clicked like how that got paid until yesterday. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It, like you just don't, you just assume that they know and they really, it's like not there. So that's why yeah. I, like a lot, I talk to a lot of parents and, and people and I was like, do you talk to kids about money? And they're like, no, I'm not an expert. I'm like, just by the fact that you know how a credit card works and how you pay it for the bank makes you an expert in their yes. eyes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Or you go to the ATM and it actually takes the money from your account and gives it to you. In it doesn't, your hand. it just gives it to you. I thought I thought yeah. that's how that works. So you just yeah. punch it in, gives you money, you go right. buy stuff. The right? bank's giving you money. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. <laughs> um, so I want to kind of talk something with you. Um, you um, in, in your bio and things says that you specialize in helping other women entrepreneurs succeed. And it's, you know, I was very close to my mom, my sister, I have a young daughter, like, I think it's different. I don't, I don't think we, well, we, I just, I don't think the world's different. I think everybody sees the world in a different way. And so I find that, well, let me ask you, um, do you see, do you see, and do you find that um, women entrepreneurs have different challenges than men entrepreneurs that you, because that's kind of the side that you've decided to focus on? Um. Definitely. And right. I think I focused on that just because I'm a girl. You're avatar, and, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I do have the occasional male client, but I don't really market to them. Um, I, I think that we definitely have our own set of challenges. I mean, I know me personally, I always kind of grew up thinking that I wasn't that smart. And that's just, I don't know, even know how that came about because my dad would always say to me, I don't know where you got that from. I think you're incredibly smart. <laughs> and, you know, somewhere in my childhood, I took that persona on for a while. And I think when I started my handbag company, which was my third business, and I had no idea what I was doing. This was my first like major cash flow business. And, and I you got into inventory. Yeah, I got into inventory. Uh, yeah, uh, that's scary. a nightmare. <laughs> and 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 I didn't know how to price things correctly, and I was just totally winging it. This was 1997, like pre-internet, really. I mean, I couldn't 
get information on the internet. Like all I did was email and match.com at the time. So uh, <laughs> that was the only website I knew. God, and, I remember like web pages used to load like one line at a time. <laughs> oh like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> AOL chat rooms. AOL yeah. <laughs> or you'd call and, somebody and it would, it would like break into their AOL thing. It would yeah. just scream in your ear <laughs> yes. and then they get mad at you. <laughs> and, and, and so there was no internet research at the time. So everything I did was, you know, go somewhere and try to learn it. Right. But, but I think that when, when, it, as I grew that company, it grew very quickly. I was very lucky with it. I had a design that really took off and was wildly successful. I got lots of PR and, um, you know, stores were just buying it. It was just, it just kind of had this legs of its own and just kind of grew. And I can't take credit for that because I really didn't know what I was doing. And I ended up taking on some business partners about two years in when I thought I should just close the company down, sell my inventory, you know, take my $10,000 loss at the time and just start over. Cause now I know what I'm doing. I thought I should just clean the books and get going. But then these investors came in and we, I raised about 250,000 from friends and family and took on a business partner who had just graduated from business school. So I thought she was way smarter than me because she had a business degree from UCLA, right? And so I sort of took the back seat at that point and let her and the investors sort of run the show and tell me what to do. I was like, I'm just going to go over here and design my stuff and go to my shows and, you know, do things that I need to do to generate income, right? (laughs) But you take care of the rest of it because I don't even... I don't know anything about business. You're clearly way smarter than me, right? And I just, I will never, ever do that again (laughs) after that because I learned a hard lesson, right? I mean, they were not smarter than me. They didn't know more than me. And, you know, over the next few years, like that business partner quit. I had a really terrible uh, shareholders agreement. I got totally, you know, you know, and I got the short end of the stick. So in the end, after 9-11, my, I had another round of investors, they ended up pulling out and I ended up closing the company at the end of 2002. But um, the, the lesson for me there was never to think other people are smarter than you because usually they're not, especially if they just claim, if their claim to fame is I went to business school, right? I mean, if somebody has genuine um, I don't know, skills to bring to the table, then let them show you those skills and show you how that's going to be better than what you can provide. And I think the, for me, the biggest lesson was to never just trust people to tell me that they're smarter than me is, is to really dig down inside and not be afraid to go ask them to show you and prove to you what they can do. Right. And so what I love about working with women is all this to say is I love being able to share some of my own downfalls and things that happened to me so that I can hopefully help them prevent those things from happening. Like I, you know, people are taking on investors. I will consult with them. I've consulted with people for free, just like, Hey, do not do that without getting in touch with me. Like I am telling you, I will save you millions of dollars and heartache and possible, you know, 
uh, bad choices, <laughs> very Sleep, bad choices. Sleepless nights. It's sleepless yeah. nights, looking mm -hmm. over your shoulder all the time. You know, it, it's, it's really important. And I think what happens to a lot of women is people come in in the night in shining armor, right? <clears throat> and we've been sort of, you know, women were sort of, uh, I think, brainwashed as kids, right? Watching Disney movies and, you know, the knight in shining armor will save me. That's why and I like Myrda. <laughs> Myrda doesn't take any crap. She's, no. she's riding her horse and shooting arrows, doing her thing. That's my right. daughter's yeah. favorite. And so. Mulan, right? Yeah. And, and so I think that, that one of our downfalls, like as, as a female generation is to think that whether it's a man or a woman, I don't care who your savior is, right? Yeah. That they are going to, that because they say they can help you, that you're just like, oh, okay. You know, it's kind of like even people who go on Shark Tank and get a deal with the sharks. Mm -hmm. To me, you're still the same person that you were in the morning before you got the deal. Yeah. So if they're just giving you money and not running the show and teaching you how to be a better entrepreneur, how to use the money, you know, for whatever the issue is that you're there, if you're not getting that one-on-one -on -one training, you're never going to succeed. So most people yeah. I find who just get investors, right. Who give them the money and say, go for it. You know, now you're rich, right. They're still the same person they were that day and have no idea what to do with it without that guidance. And so you know, I'm not a big investor, but I am a very big, uh, I have big brain and big knowledge to share. Got <laughs> battle scars, I, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so what I really love about what I do is working with these women to empower them to take control of their business and to really scrutinize everything that comes their way and not just be like, oh, great. And, you know, because those are the women that get into trouble and people will come to me and say, oh, I, you know, I did this deal and this happened, you know, and I'm like, all right, let's figure out how to get out of this deal. How, how, or how can you make the most, or how can you do it better next time? So you find I, a lot of people never even read their deal. Oh my God. I bet you 80% don't, <laughs> or don't, they read like the beginning that says I'm the first paragraph $50,000 yeah. like, Woo check, check. You know? And they don't yeah. think about, you know, how that's going to impact their business and their life. I, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm kind of smiling because I had this conversation with my daughter the other day and I, I kind of relate a lot of things when I talk to entrepreneurs back to my kids. Cause I just, that's where I live. And so, um, she did her FSA test, which is to go from, you know, out of third grade to fourth grade thing. And, uh, she got a four on one of them instead of a five. And she was like, I'm not smart now. And I'm like, that's not how this works. She's like, but that tells you if you're smart or not, I should be a five because she's a straight, Hey, like very <laughs> controlling about it too. But she's like, I should be a five. And I'm like, I was trying to explain to her, like, this doesn't measure whether you're smart. That measures how you took the test on a specific day at a specific time. I was like, if you took it today, would you be able to pass this test on a five? She's like all day long. Cause she's, you know, she's fourth grade and she's very confident, but uh, she's like, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, well, then you'd be smart now if you took this test today. And she was like, Oh, she's oh. like, yeah. She's like, I guess I was like, I go, I go, you know, and I was trying to talk to her about stuff. And I said, you know, I was like, do you think I'm pretty good at stuff? Like pretty good at business? Because she was like, Oh man. She was like, you, you talk about it all the time, you know it, you're so good at it. And I go, do you know how many times I failed? I was like, Riley, I've owned 15 companies, 10 of them failed. <laughs> And she was like, I go, I just know ways not to do it now. 
<laughs> I was like, my whole goal is to like pass that to you, but I want to instill in her that, you know, I see, I see it differently with my son and my daughter. Right. And so I see with my daughter, like if something fails, a lot of times she is like my, she was like wildly upset about the failure. My son, it rolls right off his back and he goes and does it again, you know? And so I'm not bashed. I don't, I don't want to come across in the wrong way and say like, it's a worse way or a better way. It's just different. I see a lot of times in their reactions. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I wanted to ask you that question because I, um, I, I think that there aren't enough resources geared for that. Right. You know, it's the same thing I see with like boardrooms, you know, and they're like, oh, it's all male boardrooms. I'm like, y'all are dumb. <laughs> I was like, 80% of purchase prices or 80% of purchasing power is made from the female side. Like you yeah. bunch of guys don't know, you know, <laughs> and like, I, you know, I, and so I, I feel like with you, what your focus was with helping female entrepreneurs and their challenges on things like that, it's, it's a very needed thing in the market. And it's a very great, you know, push because I feel like we need more female entrepreneurship and I don't know what the wall to that is, mm -hmm. you know, what if the, whatever this envision, uh, you know, I don't know if there's an invisible wall or it's just not something they want, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know, you know? And so I'm curious in, on your, on your take of that. Well, I think, I mean, just from the women that I encounter, I think there's, it's maybe three different categories. It's, there's women who have committed to staying home to raise their kids. Which and... is my wife's a stay-at-home mom. And mm -hmm. it, I don't think there's anything more noble in the world for what she does. You know, like, mm -hmm. I love it, you know. And she's lucky that she has somebody who can support her through that, right? Yeah. Financially and emotionally, right? And I think that, you know, when your kids grow up and don't really need, you know, maybe when they're 15 or 16 and she's just like, Ooh, what am I doing now? You know, she may decide to start her own business right but it's are you going to help her at that like you probably would but i'm just saying a lot i'm going to find a different coach <laughs> um, i've started to realize know. that like that yeah. should not be the coach <laughs> yeah but she may need some starting yeah. startup money right yeah. she yeah. hasn't been working right so so i think that some women look to their partner whoever that is yeah. to help them seed the business so that when they decide to make changes or if they want to hire somebody like me or yeah. another coach they have to go ask permission for to use the money that way so i think that can also be debilitating to somebody's psyche right yeah. like every time you want to do something and you have if you're just starting out right it's like okay well how you're not quite sure how to sell enough stuff yet to make the money on your own. Well, so I, I think, think that I can think you be had one. a great point earlier about that though. You were like, just cause you throw money at it doesn't mean you don't have a business. Exactly. Right? And that's right. a huge lesson. Mm -hmm. I think but you're better off bootstrapping than you are to put capital without a proven plan ahead. A hundred percent. But if you've been a stay home mom for yeah. 15 years and you haven't earned a dime of money on your own, you do have to take seed money from somewhere. Yeah, right? yeah, no, so, I, that's, yeah, I meant more on like the larger side, you know, totally, not the I agree. thing going, but I mean, like, you know, five, 10, 15,000 bucks, that'd be different yes. than like saying, hey, I need 250 grand oh, to see if yeah. my idea works. And it's like, exactly. no, I think, you, I think you need to cut your teeth. Yeah. I think it's a huge valuable lesson in cutting your teeth without funds. Yes. And I don't mean zero funds. I just mean like, you know, I have my salary set for the next six months. Like you need to know what it feels like not to have you know, payroll on Friday on a Wednesday. Right. <laughs> exactly, <yeah. laughs> like, right. Well, it's like when I wanted to start my second 
my second accessory company, I took $5,000 and I was like, that's what I'm starting it with. And if I can't do it, then it's not viable. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. That's I I do the same thing when I go to start something. I'm like, it has to make its own money. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to fund one business with another one because that business isn't viable then. Exactly. And I think we talked about earlier, like that whole mentality of like, I have to find a solution. And you know, that's the part that's not in business school. No. Right. It's like, well, no, this is the solution. It was in the book. And it's like, that's not what we don't have payroll tomorrow. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to pay them books? Like, what do you want to do here? Like, we need to sell something, right? Like you that have that fire lit there. That's not in, you can't get that out of a textbook. No. And I think also without talking to someone who's been there before you or listening or following somebody on social media and reading their website or blogs or listening to podcasts, there's no, um, there is no one book that will tell you like, Hey, here's the list of 15 things you need. Right. You know? And so what, if someone tells you to go get a marketing, you know, like an online marketing system, like MailChimp or constant contact or active campaign or whatever, you don't even know what you're supposed to do with it. You just know you're supposed to have it, right? And if you're reading it in a book, you're already outdated probably. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right? Like it's already a bad start. Uh, right. <laughs> and, and so I think staying up, uh, trying to stay up to date with all of that is a job in itself, yeah. right? And I think it's really important to have some kind of mentor that you follow who yes. you know, can, yes. can answer questions for you and shorten the learning curve. Yes. That, that's one of the things that like, I don't think like you can leverage someone else's time and losses and experience now better than any time in history. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, like I've always told people, like, if you, I think the Warren Buffett quote is like, uh, if, if, if poor people would do what rich people do, they would be rich or something. It's along those lines, right? Like, <laughs> and the same thing with like entrepreneurs, like if you see someone being successful at it, like don't, you don't need to blaze your own trail. Like, and right. what's crazy. And I think most people don't realize this is like, and especially for young people, like you have, you know, daughters would be 14 years old or whatever. But like if they went to somebody they saw as successful and were like, Hey, would you mind like just spending some time with me, have a lunch, teach me something. I think that most people in that position are overly happy to like share their story and talk about these things. Right. Because it's a lonely world when you're, when you're the boss, you know, and when you see somebody who has ambition, all you want to do is foster that because you're, you're by nature, you're a problem solver and you see them as problem solvers too. You kind of like gravitate. Yes. You know, I think that's, I think that's such an amazing thing. Um, I want to ask you one other thing. So uh, before we, before we wrap up, because it was what caught my eye when I first saw your, uh, your bio and stuff, but like, so tell me how it's totally, I'm going left field, like to uh, yeah. veer off. Okay. So, okay. Um, <laughs> so tell me like you have a specialty of putting products in with celebrities, right. And doing those kinds of things. So kind can you give me like the thousand foot view or like talk me into that a little bit? Because I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever met anybody that specializes in that before and so can you kind of give me like an over like a I don't know your perspective from that side sure so when I had my handbag company uh, you know I was having dinner with a costume designer friend one night that I'd worked with in the film business and she was complaining that she had to use Donna Karen clothes on a movie this was the first time she'd been forced to use a designer 
And she was like, oh, it's not right. You know, droning on about how horrible it was. And I'm just going, oh my God, this is the best idea ever. You know, and I literally was barely listening to her complain. Went the next day to my office. And I was like, okay, Donna Karen's giving clothes to movies. We got to start figuring out how to get our stuff to celebrities because this must be the next big thing. And I had no idea how to do it. And back then there was no internet really. So, um, and nobody important was on email, like store buyers weren't on email, magazine editors, you know, agents at, you know, the big agent talent agencies, like nobody was using email or anything yet. And so this was probably maybe in early 1999, late 1998. And so I was like, okay, well, I know so-and-so who's a relative of so-and-so who's a friend of a friend of a friend. And I decided to call this agency and ask if I could get something to Sarah Jessica Parker and Liv Tyler. Oh, this was like um, height of sex in the city probably too then, right? Yeah. Uh, before. <laughs> oh, right before? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And so we... Um, we ended up sending some celebrity gifts out to these agency offices and then never heard anything ever again. So, um, so then maybe, I don't know, six or eight months later, I'm thumbing through InStyle magazine because I was always looking at magazines to see if there were celebrities in there that I should try to get gifts to. For those and listening, there's a, magazines there's a were picture. books with pictures in them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? like, who are they writing about? Oh, you know, because you couldn't just go online and Google who's the hottest celebrity today. And so um, this was before Google. And uh, there was Yahoo. So anyway, there we are. And Liv Tyler is standing at a movie opening holding the bag that I gave her in a magazine. It doesn't have my name in it because it just said she's here she is at a premiere of something. So I was like, oh my God, right? And we, you know, this was, I didn't know how to use Photoshop back then. It was, you know, like $5,000 or something. So we cut and pasted everything together and then Xeroxed it. <laughs> and at downstairs at the Xerox place, cause we didn't have a fancy machine. And then we started making copies of this and sending it out to stores, you know, hey, here's a picture of a celebrity with our bag. And it just exploded my business. Really? And I had no idea that was going to happen. Right. And then we were sending it to other magazines. Hey, look, you know, and then other magazines were writing about me and it just started to become this big thing. So we started going after more and more celebrities and nobody else was doing it. You know, yeah. Donna Karen had made them use her clothes on a movie, but I'm sure she paid for that. And I just was sending stuff out for free and getting all this publicity. And then it, we thought, oh, well, let's get our stuff in movies. And so we started calling the product placement departments at movies and Sony Pictures was like, oh, they're doing this movie about college girls. Why don't you bring some bags down? And I was like, okay, be there in 20 minutes, you know? And we made an appointment to go and I just brought like 30 bags with me. I had no idea what was going on. I'd like put them all down. They picked like 10 or 15 bags and it turned out to be Legally Blonde. And they ended up using my bag, one of my bags in the movie, and it ended up being the publicity shot for the film. So it was, I mean, all totally random, right? You just yeah. don't know. And, but you took a um, shot. I took a shot. I mean, that's, I would have given that's... them every bag I had. If you, I had stud was... if you had studied how to do that, <clears throat> you wouldn't have done it. No, <laughs> there wasn't definitely right? not. No, but I, I, there's a lesson to... in there about you took your shot, right? And well, like you gotta we... put it out there, right? Or if we'd been too afraid to call because they might have said no. Yeah, right? you're not afraid. You, you can't be afraid to fail. No, 
And, and so anyway, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And we just kept repeating it and doing it. And I had a bag in Ocean's Eleven and America's Sweethearts and on TV shows, you know, back in the day, like Will and Grace and Friends and stuff. So Anyway, I, as I built my business, you know, I, I kind of became known for getting products to celebrities. And then when I launched my second company with this patented closet organizer for handbags that I created, I was like, well, I'm just going to do this again. And so even though I was like, oh, this is something that's going to be in their closet, they're not going to be photographed walking down <laughs> the street or anything with it or at a movie premiere. And I still got a lot of publicity for it and was able to get it to celebrities. And then they would just put it in the magazine, like so-and-so's got this in their closet. And then people started, I was very successful with that business because I took everything I learned and all my mistakes and applied them. And then this was the age of the internet, obviously it was 2006 when I launched this. And so I taught myself how to build websites and Photoshop and social media when it came out and all this stuff. And I had just built this brand and people started asking me how I did it. And so I decided I'm just like going to brute start force. To... Well, yeah, <laughs> friends, friends were saying to me, hey, all these life coaches are teaching people how to figure out what they want to do. You actually have a tangible thing. You can teach people with products. And there's so many of them out there. You should start teaching people. And I was like, that sounds so stupid. Like, who's going <laughs> to hire me? You know, it's all up here. And they're like, well, you yeah. got to get it out. And so anyway, in 2009, I decided to start, I'd been doing some random consulting for brands in Los Angeles, teaching them how to get PR and how to get stuff to celebrities. And I really liked it. It was fun and it was exciting and it wasn't my own stuff. So it was really easy to talk about and pitch. And, um, and then I just thought, wow, everybody needs to know this. You know, I need to help women create these brands that can become kind of like celebrity brands, right? Or famous. Yeah. And how, how do you get there? And everybody wants to be like celebrities that they admire. And so if these celebrities are wearing the necklace or the shirt or the handbag or the shoes or their kids are wearing the ribbons in their hair or whatever, right? It, it gets attract, it, it attracts people and gains traction for the company. And so that's how I've sort of ended up where I am with helping people get products to celebrities. And it's really fun. Like some of my clients have been posting pictures of like Charlie's Theron, you know, look what I just got. Or, you know, Eva Longoria just did a, she just did this whole video about a handbag that a client sent to her, you know, and put it on Instagram. I mean, that was huge getting yeah. a video from somebody, you know, so there's these exciting moments and that can open other doors, right? Where magazines want to write about you or stores want to carry you or your online shopping you know, portal goes crazy. <laughs> so it's clearly different than it was in 99, right? So like what, and now there's, you know, so many influencers and those kinds of things. Like, how do you stand out? How do you, how do you become the one that stands out to it? Because I imagine there's a lot of competition these days, you know, to so get. This. I think there's way more competition with Instagram influencers mm -hmm. because people can see what they're doing, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, Susie well, that's the whole brand. The whole brand is right. seen what they're you doing, see, right? Yeah. You see their Instagram page and you can see, oh, she's got 3 million followers, you know, but you know, you really have to dive in and investigate that. You can buy followers. Yeah. So you have to see if it's real, right? How many people comment? How many people like it? It's super easy to heart something, right? You're laying yeah. in bed at night or bored in the traffic jam and you're just like, heart, heart, heart. But <laughs> to actually leave a comment takes time, right? It takes more than one second. 
And so I think the people who have major fabulous interaction with their followers is a, to me, is a better bet, right? Could you give me an example of somebody like that? Can you who think of somebody interacts? off the top of your head? Yeah, just like oh. going after, I mean, you mentioned like Eva Longoria and like, you know, Charlize yeah, so Theron she, and stuff like that. Right, so they have lots of people commenting, yeah. right? on their posts and I mean you know tons liking it yeah but but like a general like if let's say you had a beauty product and you were looking for beauty influencers on Instagram so again you need to look and sort of weigh and measure right so let's say they have a million followers they get two or two two thousand three thousand likes for a video that they do but maybe they only get three comments, really? you know, if they had 300 comments to yeah. me, if they were charging $5,000 or $3,000 to do a video that might be viable because they're getting 300, 500 comments, you know, Ooh, I got to get this or, Ooh, where do I get it? Or whatever people are saying. Right. Whereas with famous celebrities, they're not always posting about products that they get. Maybe it's in their stories, their reels might not be a post on their page. So again, I think less people go after sort of the A-list celebrities because they don't know how, they're too afraid. They're afraid they might say no. I'm like, they can't see that you're blushing when you send the email, you know, <laughs> or that you're jumping up and down and freaking out when they write you back or something, right? And- That's so funny, like that you, that- I, I was thinking about that because in my head I'm like yeah you probably wouldn't reach out to like A-listers and now I'm thinking like that's probably the thought everybody has right, right? <laughs> you know it's like we write to celebrities every week you know and sometimes we have to you know one person will say no then we go out to the other person and they say no then they're like oh let me loop in her assistant and then you know you don't hear back from anyone and then you write to the assistant hey you know we wrote to you about the blah 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 you know does she want it and sometimes they'll write back, oh, yeah, sorry, it's taken us a couple of weeks to get together on this or, you know, and you're like thinking, well, of course, it's the bottom of the list, right? Whatever script has come in is probably way more important than the handbag we want to offer you. So, you know, but it's, it's, the, it's that constant follow-up and the persistence, I think, that makes the difference between a company that makes it and fails. So because I used to people- have to do, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say a lot of people will say, well, I emailed that buyer one time. I'm like, okay, I sent him a message. 30 times, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> well, you know, there's a, um, so I used to cold call businesses a lot. And um, what I found was that you would have to, if you could identify the gatekeeper, that was the one. And what I would mm-hmm. do, and I would, I was, you know, pat myself on the back, but like I would smoke the rest of the team on these things was because I would get appointments because I would call and ask for the gatekeeper. Yes. Right. I'd be like, oh, yep. hey, is Amanda there? And they'd be like, oh, um, let me see. wait. Uh, man, I'm Amanda. Hey, how can I help you? I'm like, man, I talked to you last week. How are you doing? It's so good to hear from you. How's how's thing? Because nobody talks to them. Right. Right. So like the assistant. Yeah, they're up here. I, yeah, there's yeah, like, like twelve people in between. Yeah. So they would, but they are the ones that are blocking the gates all the time, right? They're the gatekeeper, and so like I imagine a lot of that is probably the same thing with like the assistant. Like you gotta yes. kind of talk the assistant up and like make them a person. Totally, because to they're to overlooked. Yeah, well, they're, but they're the ones, they're like the neck of the head, right? They turn the people, they're, they're going to be your, they can either be your biggest ally or probably your worst enemy. Totally. Because they don't, they won't even know you exist if it doesn't get yes. by them, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, I, uh, I would love to find out more about that. Um, so if, you know, and myself included, like, who should come find you and where do they find you at? 
Well, you can find me on my website at sarahshawconsulting.com or on Facebook or Instagram at sarahshawconsulting. If you want to talk to me, if you have a product or a business question, I got a big old book now and you can book an appointment with me um, to talk about your business or find out how I can help you. Um, I'd be happy to chat with you. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, I want to say thank you for coming on the Money Talkers with me. Yeah, great to be here, Cody. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.